Hello folks, I'm Simon Ward and welcome to the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast. This podcast, my website and my regular newsletters all focus on the goal of helping you to achieve peak human and athletic performance by interpreting the science and then translating it into easy to understand lessons. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created a membership program which allows me to provide more in-depth, exclusive content and programs so that you can take your performance to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about these benefits and let you know how you can join our growing tribe. Today on the podcast, my guest is Tom Bishop. Tom's been a regular on the triathlon circuit for what seems like a very long time, and yet he's still a relatively young man. After over 10 years of competing on the ITU circuit for Great Britain, Tom's taken the decision to step up to longer races for 2023. And in this conversation, Tom and I chat about his early triathlon career, with his main rival being his twin brother David, being part of the Leeds High Performance Centre, training with the Brownleys, finding your own path and doing things differently, how he's adjusting his workouts as he moves to a longer distance, and heat chamber training. Tom's a lovely lad, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So, without further ado, let's get cracking and hear from Tom himself. Oh, welcome to the show, Tom Bishop. It's about time, I have to say. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, it's been a while. I know you've been doing the, this podcast show for years, but uh, now I'm here, so yeah, good yeah, to chat. Yeah, well, we've, we've had quite a few from Leeds on, including your other half. Yeah, yeah, she said actually. Um, she is actually uh, having a little nap. She's been training hard as well. So right, right, yeah. brilliant. Well, you've just you said um, you might be late, but obviously you weren't. But you'd been to the heat chamber. Um, can you tell us what you were doing in there today? So uh, this is my second my heat chamber session. I did one yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm preparing for Miami uh, Clash Miami in a couple of weeks, and it's 30 degrees out there. So coming from a British winter, you need you kind of need to expose yourself a bit to the heat and get the body adapted like i've got five sessions planned in um okay probably the minimum amount of sessions you'd need but hopefully it's just enough and what um so um is that on the uh, on the bike or running yeah it's on it's on the bike it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you raise your core temperature high enough and stay there and like if you end up running like you end up doing too much running in a week so i just thought sit on sit mm-hmm. on the bike for an, for an hour and see how it goes yeah i've done a i've done a few sessions in the heat chamber we we were going off to do the marathon disable so we did some stuff on the treadmill carrying backpacks and wearing all our kit and um do you, do you do them at the university with mark hetherington no we've actually got um it's actually a cheap version of doing it. obviously you have to pay for the universities to do that sort of thing but um we just set up like a greenhouse like a portable greenhouse put some heaters in and it gets really hot in there. Like my, my, my head unit on my bike, my stages dash said it was like top of 49 degrees an average of 43 because it just gets out of control. Um, so you have to yeah. like switch off on and off heaters and things. So, okay. Yeah. And how do you measure your core temperature then? So you, you can, I didn't have the core temp pills, which is the, the best way to do it. Uh, you can use a tympanic thermometer which goes in your ear mm-hmm. which usually reads slightly lower than what your core temp is by about maybe half, um, half a degree but you roughly use that and then heart rate as well just to make sure you're not getting out of hand so do you have somebody there monitoring what you're doing then yeah yeah part of the uh, like the, the setup at the uh, the brownie center that they have to have someone supporting and covering because it can get quite dangerous if you lose a lot of fluid you can get faint 
you can faint if it gets drastic and stuff. Mm. So, so and do you weigh yourself before and afterwards, and then um, have a, a fairly accurate picture of exactly how much fluid you've consumed, so you can monitor your weight loss? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then it also gives you an idea of how much you actually have to drink afterwards. And it's usually you have to drink one point five liters more than what you would what you've lost mm. because you don't obviously absorb every bit of fluid you take into yourself. So yeah, when when um when I was going to race in Hawaii, we did some sessions, and I I think like you, I did five. I did them every other day. Um, and that really helped me to acclimate to, to sort of acclimate before I got out to Kona, and then it was a lot easier to get used to the temperature once I was there. But um, the first day I was in there, I, I was trying to sort of picture the the course in my mind and simulate the power I'd need to put out at certain points. And after about fifteen minutes, he said, "Oh, you're up to your core temperature limit now." So in order to stay in here for the the, the program time that we've agreed you'll need to just pedal really easy and i think i was probably twiddling along at just over 120 watts for the next hour and my core temperature didn't drop but it didn't go up any higher and that that was a fairly that that was a fairly strong lesson for me that you know if you let your core temperature get too high you well literally you're cooked but you are cooked in terms of your race as well aren't you yeah definitely like i i don't do anything hard in there i think the session for me is all about raising the core temperature and because I'm trying to fit this into my normal training week, I don't really want mm. to go hard anyway because I've got hard sessions either side of it. So, yeah, like it, it, you physically can't go hard if your core temperature is too high. Like you, you've, you would have seen it in races in the past. I think Callum Hawkins in the marathon in Gold Coast for the Commonwealth Games, you you might remember seeing him like collapse on the side of the road. Cause oh, was that the he, marathon? Yeah, he was here. Yeah. Exhausted. Like yeah. it happened. I mean, I think Alistair's, Alistair and Johnny have both mm-hmm. um, done the same. So, yeah, it, it's mad how much you, your brain can push your body, but there's literally a point where you just can't, you can't go any further. So that's the whole central governor theory, isn't it? Where you, your brain takes over before you kill yourself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So <laughs> but yeah. obviously we're trying to just get the body prepared to race in the heat. Like when you're outside and racing, it is cooler because you get the wind, you get the breeze, a bit more of a cooling effect mm. back um but yeah the, we're just trying to get some adaptations in the body like a bit more blood plasma um a few of the mechanisms that happen when you get when you get heat acclimatized so that's kind of that's kind of the aim and then how many days before the race will you get out to miami to sort of carry on with that acclimatization so i'm flying on the monday and a race on the friday so i'll have a few more days there but hopefully like even in the build up to the race, I probably won't put myself out in the heat too much just because you can get quite tired from that. Mm. Um, so hopefully I've done enough in the chamber and I can just kind of top up whilst I'm there. Yeah, it's a, it's a real balancing act, isn't it? And um, the other thing that I became aware of, both from a coaching perspective and from from my own experiences, was that in the heat, if, if you're going on power, it's easy to um, get too hot too soon because you, your body's just not capable of it. So it's, it's a much easier, oh, it seems to be a much more... Um, appropriate guide to use heart rate in hot conditions when you haven't been living there for a few months do you do you find the same i'd agree yeah and also not everyone actually that you're supposed to calibrate your power meter as well so in a hot environment your power often reads low anyway but it will read low because your body is just struggling to put out power so heart rate's a way better guide just to judge how hard you're going and and stuff and just like I've done quite a lot of heat sessions in the past, so I've got good experience in just like what mm. I need to do and things. But when it's racing, yeah, you've just got to keep your eye on it. Like I did Dallas, a P2 US Open last year, and that was in the high 30s. And I um, 
I got carried away in that race, got too hot. I then just yeah, kind of capitulated towards the end of the bike. And I mean, I was coming off a running injury anyway, so I was never going to run that well. But yeah, even even with those guides, you still get you can still get carried away in the race, and mm. you've got to be a really kind of disciplined racer if you want to make it work. Um, and just experience as well. So I'm still learning all that all that stuff in this long course racing. Yeah, and you mentioned there that on the bike, it's easy. It's it's a bit easier to keep your temperature down because of the sort of cooling effect, and perhaps you don't notice it as well. But if you have gone too hard, as soon as you get onto the run that's when you really know sitting it yeah definitely but i guess on the bike you can still cool yourself down like i i actually race with a um a camelback down the front and i can put like, ice in that you can get aid station you to be fair on the run you can try your best to cool yourself down but throwing water and stuff if your head doesn't do wouldn't do loads if your core's too high basically so mm. it's all about preventing your core getting too high if you want to race really well yeah yeah yeah, and so um, this Miami event is that a, is that a seventy point three distance then? Um, clashes the, the the ones in America is like Clash and Challenge are the same. It's the same family, um, but they're actually in between Olympic and half. Okay. I think it just they, their idea is they want to entice a few short course guys to race up, and obviously get the long course guys to race down. So it can be quite an interesting dynamic of how the race goes. So it's a it's a sixteen hundred meter swim, sixty uh, k on the bike, and um sixteen k run. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a it's not it's a good intro race, I reckon. Yeah, and this is part of your transition up to longer distance events, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to get onto that in a moment. Um, let's let's rewind, Tom, right back to how you got started in triathlon because you were in that um sort of cohort of people that were coming through, you know. 10, 10, 12, 15 years ago. I'm, yeah, I'm, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like you're getting on a bit, Tom, but um, <laughs> you, you've also been around a while, haven't you? But that's more to do with the fact that you were you were sort of at the front when you were younger. Yeah, that's right. I um, I guess I, I, I raced Junior Worlds. Um, I came second there, actually, in my first Junior Worlds, which was cool. That was in 2009. Did a few of the under-23 races, uh, under-23 Worlds, and then just kind of got my shot as a is a senior when I was quite young, still in the under 23 category. So yeah, I have, I've been racing for 15 years at the top level, pretty much including like the, the junior standards. So yeah, I, I don't deny I have been around a while and I'm getting on a little bit, but I still feel like I've got that kind of energy and vibe. I want to keep pushing myself. So, mm. so you, you were uh, grew up with your brother racing as well, David. And yep. your mum was involved as well, Hilary, and uh, she's a coach and a, and a mentor that I've worked alongside. So tell us about how all that um, uh, sort uh, of helped you in your development. Well, I guess, I mean, we were just school kids, really, who we swam with our swim club, did a bit of athletics, um, triathlon in the summer when the season was, was um, yeah, triathlon season, basically. So me and David used to train quite a lot together. Um, my mum used to kind of yeah, just like manage manage our training alongside mm. school and homework and all that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, she kind of guided as well to fairly successful youth athletes and junior athletes. And yeah, it was it was great. Like I think the most important thing is just not to get burnt out as a kid. Um, she kept us on the probably the lower side of training. Um, uh, and yeah, we, we we still had our enthusiasm. Moved away from home to universities. David went to Loughborough. I went to Leeds. And then that's kind of when you start training, like, more full-time, I'd say. Um, 
yeah, I, I obviously went to Leeds and that's where Johnny and Alice were training. So I kind of jumped in with their group, David, same in Loughborough with like Will Clark and those guys. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, it, my mum set us up well to kind of go on to the next step, I'd say. So, and when you were racing as a sort of before you got to junior level and a youth, were you, um, and you were at school, for instance, what, what were your key sports? Was that swimming and running or? Um, yeah, we, we swam. Yeah, we swam like three, three to four times a week. So not none of this like fifteen hours a week that some of the uh, some of the kids do. Like, so, like we never really were that interested. We we enjoyed more the outdoor stuff. So we would ride with the the kind of local group on a Saturday morning. I think it was. There's like um, a really good ride in around Derbyshire. Um, and yeah, we used to run with Derby AC just on the track on a on a Tuesday, and then the rest of it was just. I don't know. We, we still played, David played football. I played football a bit, played cricket. So we weren't fully into triathlon in terms of that was the only thing we did when we were at school. We still did a lot of other stuff and hanging out with our mates was still quite an important thing. Um, like we spent most evenings just like, yeah, just playing football at the park and stuff. So it wasn't training, school training. It was a mixture of everything. And who were your rivals when you were um, a younger athlete, when you were 14 and 15, 16? Yeah, obviously David was. You could say his arrival. I never saw that. We just kind of raced each other. Is he younger? Um, is he younger than you or older? We're, we're twins, actually. Oh, okay, right, right. Yeah. Um, in fact, so Reese Davy, who's now my coach in Leeds, mm-hmm. um, we were the same age. We raced. We raced against each other as youths. Uh, another mate called Josh Daniels. He 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 retired from triathlon quite a few years ago, but we were always battling out. I raced Johnny a little bit, actually. He was a year older than me, so we kind of would have raced slightly. But, yeah, so there's still people I race who I um, who I still see now. Um, obviously, Lucy Hall, I didn't race her, but she is raced at the same age as us. So we've kind of, and we, we're in the same regional academy together. So, yeah, we've all kind of grown up around the races mm-hmm. together. And like, Lucy's still racing now. Obviously, Reese has moved on to coaching, and David does marathon running. So... Uh, yeah, it's good to see people still in the sport. So uh, um, you were in the Derby area and your brother went to Loughborough. Was that a difficult decision for you to um, go to a different seat of education then when, when you were leaving school? Because I guess everything you'd done up to that point was sort of like two peas in a pod. Yeah, it was. I think we're both excited just to go to university. Obviously, we're a bit sad. Like, I think David had applied to get to Leeds, but he didn't get in. He just missed out on on a grade, so that it would have been a it was a slight shame that he didn't make it. But I also think he was able to kind of experience his own life away from me. <laughs> um, he he well, obviously he loved it. He had a great time, so I don't think he regrets not going to Leeds at all. Um, I don't know how that would have changed his racing either. Um, like Leeds has obviously been a great place for me. I've developed as. Well, I, I think it's really helped my development. Uh, maybe it could have helped him, but likewise, if I'd have gone to Loughborough, it could have been the same. So you you can never really say one way or another. But in terms of the emotions, we were kind of happy for each other. We're just excited to move away from home and kind of live independently. You often hear people talking about twins say when they're separated, you can still experience. You've got a sixth sense of when something's happening to the other one. Have you, have you ever experienced that? I, I don't think so. There's times when we might have said similar stuff at the same time, but that's more just because they're probably similar people and have similar interests. But I, uh, no, I, I've not experienced that. So sorry to disappoint anyone who, who thinks that exists. 
So um, you came up to Leeds now. Um, when was that? 2010, 11? 2009, I moved to Leeds, yeah. Okay, so the Performance Centre was still in its sort of early years then, wasn't there? There wasn't that many athletes here. So um, who who else was here besides besides Alistair and Johnny, obviously, who lived here? Um, who who else yeah. were you training with at that point? Yeah, it was a small squad. So Reese actually came to uni as well. So we were, we actually um, lived together for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think who else. Lois Rosendale, he was an elite yes, athlete. Yeah, remember Lois, yeah. Um, none moved up a few years after I moved to Leeds. Dave McNamee was there for a little while. Um, trying to think, there's a, a a couple of brothers called Dan and Don Brook. Oh, um, I there. used to coach. I used to coach Dan and Dom at one point. Yeah. yeah, so they were from Barnsley, weren't they? So they they wouldn't have lived in Leeds, but they because uh, Dan was at Loughborough, wasn't he, as a student? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. Dan Dan was at Loughborough. Dom Dom actually lived just down the road from me, actually. But he, yeah, he he was a few years older than me. So when he when he graduated, he uh, he left. But yeah, the squad was. I can't say it being. I can't remember it being more than fifteen, twenty athletes. Really, mm. now we've got close to a hundred. It's and three squads. It was all just one squad with a few sessions here or there. But now it's um, yeah, it's really grown. I'm trying to think who um, would have swum on a Wednesday because I always had my triathlon squad in yeah, um, yeah, three lanes yeah. next to the two or three lanes that J- Jack occupied with you folks swimming. Yeah, and I'm trying to think who else would have been here at that time. Um, Harry Wiltshire was there a little bit, but in yeah. terms of these are all, I mentioned most of these names who came maybe two or three years later, like more like 2011, 12. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, there's, I can, I can think of like, there's a guy called Rob Bridges who now coaches in Loughborough. He trained in Leeds for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a, a guy called G- uh, Gabe, who's one of, one of uh, Dom's mates, like, just there's so many people who come and go it's uh it's hard uh, it's hard to remember everyone i've probably i've probably got a whole load of sessions i've got a whole load of sessions that jack yeah. would have done from uh 2010 2011 so uh, i could probably find those new names if I'm i went sure, back I'm sure you used to write down all our splits everyone's like pretty much by by the hundred everyone would get their split and stuff so well, yeah I remember Jack uh, Jack and I had a business together, private coaching business together. And he, he used to, like you say, he used to religiously write down all these splits on the poolside. And um, when he, when he left, he had a stack of books and, it, and he just got rid of them all. And I'm like, there's a whole load of history in those books, you know? No, no he was very meticulous, but it kept you on it in training. It stopped you getting lazy and stuff. Cause you knew he was timing you and things. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, he'd be there, wouldn't he, with his glasses and his pencil and his stopwatch yeah. beavering yeah. away. Yeah. I, I'm, it still baffles me to this day how he, he could see what everybody was doing and write down all this stuff and make sure that those books didn't get wet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, he was, a, he was a good coach, Jack. Like, he was my first coach when I moved to Leeds, actually. And he was quite a laissez-faire guy. He would, he would kind of give me the programme. He was quite keen on attendance. That was his biggest thing. Attendance meant consistency and consistency was like kind of one of his core principles but he, he kind of just knew what this knew what the squad setup would be um knew it worked and he was just like just try and do as much as you can around your university and things so I couldn't quite do all the trading Johnny and Alistair did when I first moved because mm. it was quite pretty much double the volume I was used to so I ha- it took me maybe half a year to try and get get up to that um once I was kind of at a safe level of you know, when you just you're on top of your recovery and the volume, I was able to kind of get involved a bit more. 
Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a big shock moving to Leeds, knowing like how much they all trained and seeing how much they did. And you'd hear things at Alison and you're like, wow, how can you just do all that? And then a few years later, you're doing the same thing. You're like, oh, it just takes a bit of time and a bit of experience. But yeah. he'd, he'd been building up to that since about the age of 12, 13, though, hadn't he? Because he, yeah. um, where I live here, Alistair used to live in Horsforth and he used to go along the canal towpath. Um, yeah. where you probably run now um, towards Bradford Grammar School and I'd be cycling to where we had our gym in Horsforth. So I quite yeah. often pass him running or mostly cycling and it'd be like this this little blur and a voice <laughs> would say, morning, and I'd say, morning. And then later on in the day, I'd be going home and he'd be going home, morning, or evening, <laughs> evening. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that that would be off to school, swim at school, you know, swim with Jack. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it, it's always interesting to people to hear that they got cut from the squad at Leeds because they didn't make enough sessions, you know, in the yeah. uh, swim squad. You at, do at, at the at the um, Leeds Leeds City swim squad that is. Yeah, yeah. You hear a lot about um, what they used to do and like, yeah, they did a lot of a lot of commuting, training type stuff, like going to mm-hmm. school and stuff. But yeah, obviously, it's it's helped them develop to the races they are now. So. Um, Malcolm was at uh, Malcolm was there then as well, wasn't he? Because Malcolm had joined, um, uh, come to Leeds Beckett at, around the time the Performance Centre started. So they, Malcolm and Jack, were the sort of guiding um, people at the top of that, and they had a huge influence on how everything developed and the the structure and the the sort of values and work ethic of the group, didn't they? Really? Yeah, definitely. Like I said earlier, Jack was key, really keen on like being consistent. Malcolm oversaw our run program. He he wanted us to train like runners, so we we would often do our run sessions with the runners in the evening on on the track and like on a Saturday morning around Boddington Fields. Um, it doesn't look like Boddington Fields anymore, sadly. But uh, mm. yeah, like Matt Malcolm is he he, he he was very kind of observant. He would make sure we'd run well with good form. That was important make sure we hit the right intensity and again just try and turn up to what you can and he was very good at knowing when maybe a session wasn't right for you that day so mm-hmm. if you had a lot of uni work or the training had just been a lot you'd maybe even slightly early but like just an easy run or just go home sort of thing so yeah yeah I've heard Alison Rose talk about that when Malcolm used to coach her that he, you know even walking across or, or jogging across the um, to the pavilion at the athletics track from the changing area, he could tell if something wasn't right. You know, when you were a hundred away, hundred yards away from him. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I remember. Must have been ten times whilst I was being kind of looked after by Malcolm. That yeah, he he sent me away to to just do something easy, and it might have been just after a cross country race or something. It's like you don't need to do a session. You've only raced a few days ago. Just I, I guess it, it. I go back to the word consistent, but if you can kind of cut a session or miss it out, but it helps you train well for the next month, that's way more important than if you do one extra session and it it takes mm-hmm. you out for a month or so with injury or illness, then that's that's a lot more important. I had Nod on the podcast recently and she said that um, there were two two lessons that she learned from coaches. One, one was from Joel Filial, um, but, but from the group in Leeds and from Malcolm, it was about if in doubt, leave it out. And it was that, you know, if you woke up with a sore throat or you had a bit of a headache or you just didn't feel right, you know, sometimes it was better to miss one session than than continue and then miss a whole week later on. Yeah. And sometimes you need someone like, yeah, a coach you can trust like Malcolm was at that point who would just make the call for you because as an athlete, you just want to train hard all the time. You want to, you think every training session actually gets you fitter. Whereas they've got the, the understanding of the bigger picture that you no, know, the training sessions together in the right way all contribute to fitness. But 
you've got to allow your body, your, your body has to be in the right place to absorb it and adapt from it. Otherwise, you're never going to make the gains that you kind of, you're trying to work hard for. I was having lunch with Malcolm the other day and we were talking about those sessions and he, he reminded me of his little rule that he had. Do you remember his little rule for Tuesday nights and Saturday mornings? Oh, what were they? Go and say. Well, uh, it was just one rule, wasn't it? Don't turn up tired. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, even, I mean, we're all tired. Like, I think he understood that everyone's a bit tired, but it's the right side of tired, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turn up or or turn up ready to to do the session you should be That's doing. Right. So don't yeah. don't go out and do a hard ride the day before. You know. Don't. Yeah, I remember him turning someone away from training because they'd done something like out of the program that wasn't that wasn't kind of set. And he's like, "Well, you're not going to be able to deliver today because you've made yourself too tired. So mm. go home and come back next week." Mm. Can be pretty pretty ruthless, but that's what you need to be as a coach. Sometimes I think, um, yeah. Yeah, you perhaps when when you're young and enthusiastic and feel invincible, you perhaps don't realise um, the benefit of having a steering hand like that, that that's like wise and experienced, that that knows exactly what sort of car crash you're heading for if you do keep training. Definitely, and even as an older athlete, like you can still kind of push a bit too hard on days when you might not when you might not have been meant to, and then yeah, your session's not quite so good, and it, the, even the coaches we've got in Leeds are good at recognising that as well. So. Um, yeah, you just need someone who's a bit more rational and isn't emotionally involved with the training to make the right calls for you. So you mentioned then a few moments ago that when you came to Leeds, there was a work ethic probably driven by Alistair and Johnny. I mean, in the early days, that centre was effectively set up around them. And then obviously yeah. you do need a squad around people to support that and provide running mates and uh, swim group. Um and that was completely different to the sort of training you'd been doing when you were in Derbyshire. So um, yeah. explain a little bit more about how, how that affected you. Did you feel there was some sort of magnetic pull to try and do more or, or did, did you want to find your own path and how hard was it to do that? Um, I, definitely the first few years I came to Leeds, I just literally followed and tried to do the program as well as I could. Um, like it, it was a lot more than what I was used to, but, Thankfully, like I could cope with the volume. So I was readily up to like the 30 hour a week sort of training volume. What it would have been slightly more inconsistent with uni and just being younger, like you can't just do that week in, week out. But um, yeah, like the, there was a pull to try and do what the best in the world were doing. So I obviously saw what Johnny and Alice were doing every day and tried my best to try and do that as well as I could. And then I got to a certain age where I was like, well, they're still better than me. What's the gap? Where do I need to improve? And I felt like it was my running. So I ended up actually potentially running more than them in weeks at a time just to try and make up that gap, which probably wasn't the best call for me because I got better at running, but maybe also I had a few more injuries than I would have mm. normally kept it down. But maybe, I don't know, maybe I would have never have improved my running like I did when I started to increase the volume and stuff. So it was it was a gamble that I felt like I wanted to take to try and like minimize the gap between those two. I mean, they were always better runners than me anyway. Like I'm not denying that, but um, I tried to kind of get as close to them as I could. I was reminded the other day though, that you had one of the fastest 10 K times from Manchester when you were what, 19, 20. Yeah. I, I ran 29, I think it was 29, 58. When and I that, that not just amongst triathletes, that was one of the fastest ranked times of the year, wasn't it, in the UK? I think it I think it actually was the fastest under 20 for that year. And for a long time, it was sixth all time as an under 20. 
And this mm-hmm. is pre-Carbon Chew era as well. So if you look at the rankings now, there's probably, I think I'm like 17th or something, but I think 10 of those guys were uh, Carbon carbon guys. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was that was off the back of me really pushing, okay. pushing trying to, yeah, trying to improve that, that side of my sport. Really difficult with running. I know I've, I've had plenty of conversations with Alison Rose and the physios at Coach House about, you know, triathlon injuries. And, uh, you know, three quarters of them, uh, either caused by or related to running aren't they because just the impact you get you don't get those same you don't get that same impact on the body and fatigue as you do um, with cycling or swimming yeah definitely not I think um, yeah mo- pretty much all my injuries have come from running actually mm-hmm. so it's just yeah the impact you get and because we're triathletes we're probably not as conditioned as the runners to actually deal with that volume and we're taking more fatigue into running training so you're just gonna load your body more and it's uh it's it is tough, but I think now the the, the British team have worked out. A, they've got a good idea of volume for for the women in the team and the men, and they kind of want to see you inside those kind of like guidelines, I suppose, just to make sure you stay injury free. But it's still like every athlete's different. Some people can cope with more. Some people need less. Some people might need just more easy running, or maybe just sessions without much of the load at all throughout the week so it's Mm. you've got to take the athlete individually how was it then uh, away from the triathlon training coming to live on your own in leeds Um, i I, I do again when i spoke to malcolm he did remind me i told him i was speaking to you today and he said i always remember that tom was different to the others because he could look after himself and cook which you don't see in in many of the students Uh, yeah my um before i moved to leeds my mum got me and my brother to both uh do a few cu- a few um, meals in the evening just so she knew we could cook but I'd been to scouts and stuff like we've been taught how to cook it's not that hard um I it's not quite- but it's, it's surprising how many people aren't really good at it yeah I know um I, I mean it, I, was, I was about to say it's one of my things I like to do to relax in the evening so um in the winter there's quite a few good uh, cook cooking shows on tv like masterchef professionals and stuff so that's actually something i really like to do to wind down and switch off um so yeah i, I was pretty good at looking after myself i'd say mm. did uh, did you find that a lot of your um group members would come around to your house then if they wanted something <laughs> different from a pizza or a, a chinese uh i was actually quite antisocial when i was younger so i used to just do stuff on my own quite a bit but now with my girlfriend sean we invite people around maybe once uh once a week or once every other week just to have like a sunday dinner or something like that mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it's quite nice to do that sort of thing well it's i, I mean I, I like cooking as well and i find um it's, it can be a very sociable thing to do either as a couple or uh, with a group um it's you know if you're cooking your own stuff you're cooking whole food from from scratch so that's way more healthy than it is to buy it all in prepared and um but it's also because you're focusing on the cooking it it, it takes your mind away from the triathlon related stuff so it's a bit of a break isn't it yeah definitely like i i spend half, what between 30 minutes an hour preparing food and i'm not thinking about triathlon really i've got i don't know like an audio book on or some music and i'm just like relaxing and switching off so it's it's a uh, it's just a nice way to relax. So uh, you don't always, like thinking about triathlon 24 seven is not a good, good way to be. Um, I like to have that kind of switch off. And most of your friends that you socialize with triathletes, or do you like to have a circle outside of that sport? No, to be fair, most of my friends are triathletes, but I've got a few who've kind of stepped away from the sport now who I still keep in touch with, but they're obviously still interested and still follow it, but they're the guys who I can kind of switch off on if I need. Like, 
Um, I think you might have spoken with Elliot um, a few years ago. He he's retired yeah. from Charleston, but I still like to catch up with him um, a few times. Like we go to uh, some some music gigs as well. And there's a couple of the other guys who've left Leeds who still hang around this area who I like hang out with as well a little bit. Not not very often, maybe once a month, but it's uh, it's nice because just yeah, like again, but as you said earlier, just to just to have that side different side from the sport. Yeah, it's quite difficult, isn't it, when you're doing thirty odd hours of training a week? Uh, you've got to be up early to be at the pool. Um, yeah. you're probably usually pretty tired by the time you've done six hours of training um, so leisure time like that is quite rare and probably quite um, special as well yeah it is special and it's tiring as well because you usually do something after you've done a big a big day or a big week of training but yeah you kind of plan it in like I'm not I'm not going to go out every Saturday evening into town like that's just not that's not a professional thing to do but every maybe once every six weeks we can Meet, meet some of my friends in town and catch up like that but as long, like as long as you kind of know when you're going to do it you can work an easy day around it or a couple of days just that because you can't just be full gas every every week of the year it's not possible so yeah it's important to kind of schedule in slight downtime so I reckon. Mm. moving to a center like Leeds I know there's there's been a lot of like you said this this almost 100 athletes now and there's been a lot of you know high level athletes here for a time there's obviously the pros of that sort of being inside that group and the group dynamic and the coaches do you find there's any downsides to that as well yeah I um I, I think it was you might have even spoken to Malcolm about this I kind of went through a period when I was in Leeds where I kind of wanted to do more of the, my own things like I felt like I was like in a bit of a rut and I I wanted to try try a few new things myself so I ended up doing a little bit on my own and then there was a a younger group of athletes who came to Leeds who I started to trade with more. So I kind of moved away from Johnny and Alistair's group slightly because I just realised that I couldn't quite do what they were doing mm-hmm. um, and just thought I'd try a few things on my own. And it took a while, it took a few years to kind of get going, but I got my best results off the back of doing that. So um, I was, yeah, I was really, really happy. I kind of made that decision because a lot of people, you can just follow, you just, you, you can potentially just keep on doing the same thing throughout your whole career and never hit your potential. And I tried something different and managed to make some progress. So yeah, I was, I was happy. I kind of made that call myself. So I guess uh, in those early days you were doing the, what are they call it standard distance. Now I always grew up, it was always called the Olympic distance. And for you, it was all about the Olympics, wasn't it? It was about yeah. um, in the years before um, the, the, the Olympic games, there was always the, the matter of getting points and then there was the final selection races and I know how many cycles did you go through three was it um I, I was kind of potentially there or thereabouts for 2012 but I was a bit too young um yeah then there was 2016 2020 slash 21 so yeah three three cycles and mm-hmm. I try I started this cycle currently but made my decision not to carry on with that that chase mm-hmm. so yeah. okay so ex- explain what that means for an athlete like you in terms of um, the training, but also the pressure, the funding pressure that you get from British Triathlon, the pressure you put on yourself to try and achieve results. And also, even if you're not in, in, in the race to get one of those two or three spots, there's always the, the, there's the contribution that other GB athletes make towards the, the overall ranking points, isn't there? And so I guess there's a pressure there. Yeah, yeah. So I guess 2012, it was it was that all about the Home Olympics. Johnny and I still had medal favourites. They had a guy to work for them, and 
Um, I, I think I might have been second reserve for that for that race or some things. But I was just like a young a young guy who was racing pretty well. And then it was more 2016 where I was like, right, I reckon I've got a shot at this. But they wanted to apply the same strategy strategy to Johnny and Alistair. Like they were all in for those two getting medals, which to be fair, they, they got they got the medals. So fair, that was a, a perfectly good strategy. I just missed out on making a team. Um, I'd kind of spent a year just working on my swimming bike just to try and help support those guys. But like, I just didn't quite make the cut. Uh, Gordon Gordon got the uh, third spot. So um, that was 2016. Um, and then 2020 like was the games that I was trying to go for myself. I, I decided that I'd done enough trying to work for like people to get medals I wanted to try and get there on my own right uh, and it started off really well the first kind of qualifying period I was ranked like 19th or something and you had to be in the top 30 to basically make the team um, and it was going well but then I started to pick up a few little niggles mm. um, that kind of sidelined me for a couple of like pretty big races where you score decent points so I started to slip my ranking started to slip and that's when I kind of felt the pressure, like at, at the point before when, when it was going well, I felt this was really, it was really fun. It was relaxing. I was turning up to races excited, but as soon as it started to go downhill, the kind of pressure, it kind of got worse and worse is the kind of the, the amount of races that, and the opportunities I had kind of slimmed and it came down to a points chase. It was potentially five races in five weeks. I ended up doing four in four weeks and, I just underperformed massively just because I, I'd put pressure on myself. I felt like there was pressure from everywhere just trying to make the team. So um, it, was, it was not an enjoyable experience. I'm not going to lie. I would never do that again. And I would have, have I'd told the guys who maybe going, who might be going through it next, next year, I was like, don't, don't let it become like that because it just won't work. Um, you need to make sure that, it's not about the third spot. It's just about you trying to be as good as you can be. Like, mm. don't don't have, I'm racing for this spot. I'm just race for yourself. That that was my opinion. I mean, whether we actually get as a, as a well any country, whether you get three spots is down to the number of athletes you've got in those ranking positions, isn't it? So it seemed to me like there was a time when we only had two guaranteed spots, so there wasn't necessarily going to be three athletes going. But yeah. in order to get the relevant points to get three athletes there, two or three people, yourself and yeah. Alistair, and um, well, maybe it was just the two of you had to go out and get some, and maybe Sam Dickinson had to go out and get some points. But even if you'd yeah. got those points to guarantee the third place for the team, you might then not have been um, selected anyway. So you busted your yeah. gut for, essentially for somebody else to go to the games. Yeah. So it was actually, I was the only person who could have got the third spot because I'd rate, obviously, with my first period I was I had quite a lot of points and I was I think I finished 30 32nd or 33rd in the actual rankings overall in the end so I was three or four spots off and probably not not much more than 200 points so it was quite close but yeah I just I I felt like I was racing for somebody else at that point again and that was something I didn't want to do like it wouldn't have been me who'd gone even if I'd qualified the third spot um that was it was never official but it was that was obvious to me so I was just like I didn't where was the motivation to try and put myself through all that um yeah so it, it, it it's a real tough position to be in and 
um, I'm glad I'm kind of out of that that pressure that pressure cooker now. Just just go back to that period where you said you you were having some good results and then you started to get some niggles. Do you do you think those niggles were part of the pressure that there was building there around doing the training and you sort of almost a temptation to just do a little bit more than you need you perhaps needed to? Yeah, I, I I'd not my, my form had dropped slightly in that in the season. It was 2019. Um, I think I'd come like 15th in the test event in Tokyo. And it was off the back of that going into the World Champs in Lausanne. I just picked up a slight calf niggle. And in mm. hindsight, I probably should have raced on it because I was in good shape, especially good. I reckon I was in good bike shape and the course was really hard. Um, and you can run through those things. I just didn't want it to get serious and impact next season. Um, but obviously hindsight's a great thing. Um, but yeah, I, reckon, like, I think I was probably just like overreaching in quite a few sessions, which is probably why I picked up that niggle. Like, I came off the test event and thought oh, I can just push a little bit more just before world champs and try and squeeze out a bit more fitness when probably the best thing to do within three or four weeks I was between is just to relax. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was just me getting in my own head, just thinking I'll just try and push a bit more, try and get fit again or get a bit more fit when it's about getting fresh and fast, not fit at that time of the year. So. Yeah, um, probably heartening for age group athletes listening to this to know that it's not just them that keeps pushing on when perhaps they should be resting. Oh yeah, we we all do that. Like that's why I said you need you need to one you need a coach who can really who can really just have that voice. And, you know, you need to relax this time. So, mm-hmm. mm. um, I suppose there's been plenty of podcasts where the the the. the uh, the type of training and the volume of training that's done at Leeds is, is been talked about a lot. Um, but just give us an idea of how your training panned out in relation to that. What was the, what was the formula that you settled on in terms of weekly swim, bike and run volume? And where did the, uh, where did the high intensity sessions come? So in my Olympic distance training, it was, um, we had like a, a kind of an aerobic swim. I'll go through swim for the week, bike for the week, run for the week. So it was swam five times, Monday to Friday. Monday was an aerobic swim um, with a little bit of strength work and skill work. Tuesday was like your, your VO2 session, so your 100 metre hard reps. Um, probably not much more than 1,500 to 2Ks worth of that sort of stuff. Mm. Wednesday was again an aerobic swim with slightly longer reps, but nothing too hard. Thursday was thresholds. So yeah, you're more like two to 400 meter reps um, of short rest. And that was more three kilometers where, uh, and then Friday um, it, in the summer we would go and we'd swim open water mm. um, down in Otley. So yeah, we'd do kind of race scenario stuff. So it'd be another hard swim, um, but obviously with a massive focus on, like group dynamics and race pace and and things like that. Uh, on the bike, Monday would be just an easy ride. Um, probably wouldn't ride on a Tuesday. Um, in the past, I would have done an easy spin, but I kind of cut that out because it was just unnecessary. Um, I'd rather just sit down on the sofa, to be honest. Um, Wednesday was a long ride, like three to four hours. And I'd start to add in a bit of kind of, first threshold effort so a bit of temp like easy tempo on the bike for an hour um then is it uh, sorry to, to is there any yeah. such thing as easy tempo yeah no i i mean the tempo is just a, it's it's a word for so many different things but for me it was a sort of effort where you're applying a bit of pressure to the pedals 
you may be in a group and you're rolling through but not too hard you shouldn't be out of breath really you shouldn't be right. shouldn't be that hard it was just more of a skill thing and to keep it a bit interesting mm-hmm. um thursday that i mean you must have heard about leech chain gang we actually oh, yeah. i actually stopped doing that because i felt like it was just a session too late in the day and i wouldn't sleep well afterwards oh, yeah. um yeah. they would actually move the session earlier the um there's a there's a bike circuit that's been built now um up in adult in north leeds so we do kind of race specific stuff on there with um yeah that's probably about two hours worth with some with about an hour's worth of hard riding and then Friday, probably not ride or maybe just an easy ride. Um, again, it's just a recovery day Friday. Saturday is just a three-hour steady ride after a run session. And then Sunday was another long ride. Um, the, our coaches started to put in a bike session on Sunday, but I was never that keen. I just thought there was just, just one too many sessions in the week. And you can't just add, you can't just keep adding intensity, in my opinion. So I was very kind of hit and miss with wherever I'd do a session on Sunday because I just didn't mm-hmm. quite buy into it. Um, and then so running, this is, this might kind of, this is my, probably when I was running my, my most around between 2017 and 2020, I'd do uh, about six, two runs on a Monday between uh, totaling about 16K, um, maybe even up to 18K. Then I'll do another two runs on Tuesday, an easy 30 minute run, and then a track session up to about 18K. Um, Wednesday would be another, it'd be a 10K run in the morning and then an 8K run in the evening. Thursday was just a 10K run, and then we might run off the bike, do some reps off the bike. Um, that wouldn't be much more than 3K's worth. Friday was just an easy 10K run. Um, Saturday was a threshold run, so we'd either be on the canal or at Round Hay or, or somewhere, and we'll probably hit about 18 kilometers worth. And then I'd run again in the evening at about 8K. And then Sunday was about 21K, just with a bit of that wow. easy, like I mentioned earlier. So it, I guess in my biggest weeks, it would be around 130K running. And on a, a moderate week where I might have missed out one of the doubles or just backed off the volume slightly, it would probably be about 100 to 110 so it was it was a lot of running and I think it's probably more than what you'd see most elites doing um but that's that's me trying because I, I feel like I'm not as naturally gifted at running as other people might be on the circuit so I just felt like I needed to just push that a little bit more uh, or just try and find a way to increase it and I, I did feel like i got better doing that sort of program like in the labs it showed like i'd improved quite a bit so um it's just whether it's sustainable uh, quite interesting there tom is where did you improve did you notice that it was your vo2 max going up or was it running economy that was getting better so the, the vo2 max actually dropped um but it kind of does when you get older anyway um mm-hmm. it was my economy that improved quite a bit and you can kind of tell because when you're doing all that volume, your body needs to find a more efficient way to run. Um, so yeah, the economy improved massively and my kind of second thresholds increased as well quite a bit. So. And for the sort of dis- the sort of racing you were doing, so um, circuit racing, more criterium, you've got a yeah. 
you've got to get up, you've got to swim hard, haven't you? Because you've got to make the front pack, otherwise you're sort of yeah. constantly chasing the train. Then you've got to ride hard, but it's not uh, it's not like a time trial. So you've got to be good at yeah. you've got to have a particular sort of physiology to uh, um, cope with that. Because I know Gordon Benson always said that he he was better if he just could go at a, uh, like a train, you know, just yeah. same output all the way. Um, and then you've got to get off, and it seems like you've got to run hard for the first K to get in that front group then it then it sort of steadies out a little bit and then it just starts slowly ramping up um so yeah. what, what sort of run fitness do you need in order to excel at, at the um wts type of events to, to be to be like at the top of the of the racing like top fives and world series podiuming i think you need to have that kind of that second threshold which you mentioned which is kind of what you could maintain for like an hour or between 30 minutes and an hour so just over your 10k pace and that that needs to be around three minute k's i think mm-hmm. if you're going to be keeping up with the fastest guys now you need to be re- you need to be able to run at a speed where you're you're in control for quite a lot of that 10k and then you've got the ability to change to mix to change gear to then like go for the win go for the podium and also obviously to get out like you mentioned that first k you need to be able to get out and then recover a little bit and then go again um and that yeah, that requires quite a lot of work, quite a very high threshold, and good mechanics as well. So correct, correct me if I'm on the wrong path here, Tom. It it always seemed to me as a as an observer that you know, I've seen you in the pool and and you're a good swimmer, but in races it always seemed like you just lost the elastic a little bit with that front pack, and even four or five seconds coming out of um, into T1 can make all the difference, can't it, about getting onto that front pack? Do you, would would that be a true observer, a reflection? Yeah, I'd say I'm actually not a great pool swimmer, to be honest. So I'm, I'm, be- I'm better in open water than I'm in the pool, but there's still a gap between me and the fastest swimmer. And the gaps would always come in the first, what, 300 metres, like to the first boy in a round, where I just don't have that speed that the fastest swimmers do. Right. So I'm having to try and swim through mostly. And sometimes I can catch up, sometimes I can't, which is probably where you see the gap. And now I've I've been, I've, I can probably count on three fingers how many times I've been in the top 10 out of the water in a World Series. But all those races I've gone well at. So mm-hmm. like, it, it was something that I, it was, it was probably my weakest part of the sport. But um, it was, I just had to really figure out a way how to make it work for me in open water. And it was often try and go inside line on the boy, try and take as many people as I could around that boy and position well. Or if I'm on the pontoon and I'm looking around and I can spot a fast swimmer next to me or a couple of spots over, just try and get onto his feet. Yeah, I often think that if you want to be good around those turn boys, you, you might be better off doing some water polo training throughout the winter. Yeah, you are playing with fire. Like my when I raced in Leeds last year, I got really beat up i got choked and everything and it was it was quite a scary experience so most of the time i've i've got a way of getting around the boy but there's always that risk of just getting crowded and mm. now that everyone is a good swimmer there's pretty much 50 people all in the space of like what 20 meters square just getting to that first boy it's just so dense you're always going to run into trouble so yeah it's a tricky one quite anaerobic as well isn't it when you start fighting in the water and you can't breathe and uh, yeah then then you have to pause to get your stroke back and by then the the sort of the train's gone off a few meters yeah that's literally what happened last year it was i was, I was all right position was moving through then just hit like yeah that anaerobic feeling you like you can't breathe you can't see anything you're dizzy disorientated it's 
pretty scary, but yeah, it's just part of the sport. So, mm. so you mentioned uh, a sense of relief, a huge sense of relief, perhaps when you didn't, you know, you didn't need to try and worry about Olympic points anymore and the opportunity yeah. to try something else. Yeah, it, it kind of it's it still feels like I've kind of finished school or university, like it's just something new. I mean, it, it, it's scary as well because like I've not got the security of like um, funding now. So like literally I have to race to earn money and attract sponsors and stuff. But it means I can try something new and something I've been meaning to do for a while. And I just felt like I'm not getting any younger, like I'm 32 this year. I need to try and step up into long course racing if I'm ever going to try and be successful at it. And it just came at the right time. There's a lot of young guys coming through how who they're really talented great guys i want to see them do well and i don't want to be the older guy in the circuit who might block them getting starts as well so um yeah i was happy to kind of step away see see my mates come through and try and race for the olympics themselves and i'm happy doing the long course stuff it's it's way more exciting so you've obviously you've got the volume in there and i guess there aren't that many more hours in the day to increase the volume much so what what adjustments have you made to your training that's going to help you um perform at these longer races um so i last year when i raced i didn't really enough i didn't really have time to change anything because i was just there was just too there's too little time in between races to really kind of put a block together i was just kind of racing off my my short course fitness which frankly i had quite a lot of volume so i was i was okay to kind of um still race all right but um the end of last year i raced daytona in december and i'd had maybe a six week build into that so it was like a, a long enough block to make a difference um and i reduced the running volume actually kind of knocked that back by about 20k a week um put more effort and emphasis on the bike especially kind of the race pace stuff um and time in position on the tt um i actually dropped a swim out as well just i felt like i just needed to recover more and I, f- I felt like four swims was enough to kind of tick over and just get by. So the focus went into the bike. I increased my riding quite a bit, dropped the running, dropped the swimming a bit. Um, and then again, this winter was the same. I cut, like it went well in Daytona. So I thought, right, let's just kind of repeat that idea, get a bit more specific with certain sessions. Um, and then that's kind of where I've got to now. I'm racing in a couple of weeks off, off the back of what, nearly three months of just, consistent hard work so i guess the the miami race you're doing the the dynamics of that race although i guess it's a non-drafting race isn't it yeah but the yeah. but the dynamics of that race particularly the swim will probably be very similar to a wts race um i, I reckon it won't be quite as fast because i think it's next week there's the first world series of the year in abu dhabi so the following week there's this race in miami so i can't imagine there's going to be loads of people who come over there might be a few but um, the swimming won't be quite as frantic. Um, so I'm hoping to kind of swim near the front, be in touch with the, be in touch with the front, and then try and move through on the bike if I can. Um, I've got, I've been, I've been doing some aero testing down in Derby. The watch shop guys we got on the velodrome and with Hoob as well, testing out some kit and then trying to get my position a bit more aero. So I've got, that's like a strength of mine. I'm pretty aero. So hopefully I can ride fast and get to the front of the race. Have you been doing some work with Jacob? Yeah. Um, Tip was 
uh, down there with uh, Jamie um, as well. So they're the two watch shop guys. Uh, Jacob works for Hoop as well. So yeah, they were really helping me kind of just dial in my, dial in my position. Mm. So in terms of your physiology, what what do you, what have you had to work more on, more threshold and like um, aerobic threshold type stuff rather than VO two max? I yeah, I actually I've done a bit of over gear strength work because I felt like in the racing that I did last year, I just, my, my legs would just start to fatigue. Like my heart and lungs were fine. Um, it was just that kind of strength endurance and the same with the running. Um, I actually did a bit of VO2 work on the bike throughout the winter just to kind of push up that upper end ceiling. And now I've kind of backed off the intensity slightly and extended the rep out. So it's more like threshold type reps. And then this final like block into the race and just been focusing on just race pace efforts and things. So just a, a blend of everything. I'm not, not trying to like really peak for this race. So I didn't want to spend too much time at race pace. Um, I just want to kind of be good in this race. I'm racing a week after. So just be good for these first two races, see how I come out of it. Are there any performance gaps that I need to address and then get my head down for some big races in May. So, um, an outsider listening to this conversation might think, right, well, Tom's moving up to 70.3. So obviously the goal would be to show well at the world's 70.3 championships. But I guess there's also got to be a commercial aspect to this, isn't there? You can you cherry pick races where you're going to earn some money? Because that's got to be your first priority, hasn't it? You've got, you like everybody else, you've got a mortgage to pay and you've got, um, you've got, rising fuel bills to cover um so money on the table um yeah. prize money is the the biggest priority yeah i'm i'm racing for a career and i actually still rent i don't have a house yet so <laughs> that's one of mine and sean's goals is to try and buy a house soon uh, which is pretty tough especially banks don't really like triathletes i don't think we're not that secure so um just to try and earn as much money as i can this year just to secure my career for starters and then obviously hope to put it towards a house um, but yeah, so I've, there's so many races to choose from now. So it, it's not like I'm struggling to find races, but now the PTO's kind of taken off and they've got their open series. There's some really big races to get into, but with that comes actually getting into the races, like you need a high enough ranking. So alongside earning money for myself this year, I'm going to try and boost my ranking up so I can get into the really big races. Yeah. And the higher you rank, the, the more points you get, isn't that right? Uh, sorry, not the more points, the more prize money you get as well. And the, and the bigger the bonus you get paid out at the end of the year. Yeah, that's right. And they've actually, they've cut the bonus down to top, top 50 or top 60 this year. So I need to make sure I definitely get inside there, but also to get to, if you want to get into the open races where it's a hundred thousand for the win and it drops down and you, you get paid loads, even if you just finish, um, that would be a goal for me to get into, but you need to be ranked inside the top 30 to guarantee a start of those races. Um, I'm currently ranked 67th. So I'm hoping to kind of get a few early points this year and hopefully get into the, into inside the top 30 this year at some point. I'm hoping I can get in sooner rather than later. So I get an opportunity to race. Um, but that's the goal for me this year, just to increase my ranking, try and get a nice little bonus at the end of the year. And also just learn my craft still. Like I don't, I'm still not doing a long, like a non-drafting race where it's gone perfect. So it's maybe a race never goes perfect, but I still feel like I've, I've come away from every race wishing I'd been able to do a bit more. And 
athletes also need the support of sponsors so let's let's give a shout out to some of those people who uh, help you along your way with kit and and everything else yeah so uh, i mentioned hoop before like hoops a derby brand which is where i'm from so dean's always supported my career mm-hmm. uh, my brother works for the company as well so yeah they're they're always gonna be a sponsor of mine and i'm great really grateful to, uh, to them um I'm, I'm also sponsored by on running like the shoes and they obviously made some statements in Cone last year of gustav uh taking the win there but they've signed a load of good athletes now and i've been with the brand a few years and seen how they've put all their like a lot of research into their footwear and the new ratio is like really good. So yeah, happy with, happy from, with that. Always helps when the CEO's is a former uh, elite triathlete as well, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He knows exactly what, um, what, what, what we want. So yeah. Um, I, who else? I, I ride uh, uh, Vitus bikes. So that's mm-hmm. my team bike. Um, yeah, I've been supported by them and that's, that's been great. It's a fast bike. I'm getting a new kind of front end set up with Watchop. Uh, I mean, actually next week, so I'm really excited about that. Just, um, yeah, so that'll be my bike with, and then Prime Wheels kind of support that brand as well. They support Vitus, so I've got like a disc and a, a deep section front end. Um, I've signed with uh, Rudy Project for helmets and eyewear. So that's um, a nice little kind of, yeah, get, get a little bit of a, a bonus structure and a retainer and stuff. So that's, that's awesome. And the products are great. I tested the helmet and obviously we've got Bahrain Endurance, the pro cycling team who use their products. Um, I use like stages for power meters. Um, yeah, just that's like, just a useful tool to have. So, and their, um, their head unit for the bike, uh, for, for riding as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. This is where my manager's going to. Any, annoy. any, what about nutrition? Um, currently not, um, not got a nutrition brand at the moment though my manager's trying to sort one out but thankfully with sean being on funding they she gets supplied by ote so i've been using quite a lot of their products over winter to to trade with um oh obviously there's there's we by cycle as well another derby brand they um it's actually a really cool company so they basically like buy secondhand bikes do them up and then sell them on so They've they've really supported Sean and I over the past few years, and they've been a great help. So good good company. If you just need a quick sell on the bike and stuff, then yeah, it's a great brand, and they've got loads of good stock as well. If you if you also need a bike, um, so yeah, great guys. Who who is looking after you at the moment as your manager? Uh, Ryan Bowers. Okay, I know Ryan well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so that that brings me on to the next thing actually, because these days it's not just enough to be getting results and um, have sort of equipment sponsors you need to have a, a bit of a social media presence don't you so I, I've, yeah. I've no doubt that ryan helps you with that but what what do you have to get involved with and do as part of your day job <laughs> i'm i'll admit now i'm not the best in social media i try and do some all right stuff but i'm not i've i'm not i'm not the sort of guy who's got a camera and can make videos and stuff i've just not got that kind of creativity in my mind so um i try and kind of do some product posts and uh, Ryan's actually really trying to help get he's he, he's a photographer himself actually so he's going to get some content for us mm-hmm. soon um there's a couple of like photographers and videographers around Leeds who do a bit of work as well so I've kind of benefited from those guys you're, uh, you're doing some you're doing some work with Jack at all Jack Schofield Jack's done some photos for us he's actually away in Spain at the moment but he's mm-hmm. happy to help whenever and there's also mm-hmm. Chris Dansom who's he's local too he's done quite a lot of work for us 
But like a lot of our the brands who I work with, like who there's another guy, another Chris who works for them, who's who's happy to help as well. So it it's just about committing to a couple of days to actually create videos. And I'm actually always really impressed by these professional triathletes who can create amazing videos um, alongside. Like they must, they will have help. But still, I think it's a uh, it, it's fair play if you can invest a bit of time into creating some interesting content for people like that. Look, yeah. look at Lionel Sanders. I, I mean, he's got, uh, you know, 200,000 followers on YouTube. So he could probably, he could probably make enough money from ads that are placed on his videos to oh, I, uh, not have to worry about um, winning again. Yeah. I I just don't see how he's got the energy to do that. But I, I know um, he gets a bit of help with that, doesn't he, with um, creating mm-hmm. videos and stuff. So oh, yeah, it's yeah. about, it, I, I'm still trying to find my brand as well. Like what I actually want to kind of portray myself as. Like I'm still new in this sport. I'm, probably a bit like not many people know kind of what I'm doing in the long course. Obviously you mentioned Lionel, this, this huge name in long course racing. So people are just really interested to see what he does. Whereas not many people probably know what I'm doing. So until I kind of set myself up race well, then I can maybe start focusing more on that kind of the channel aspect and stuff. Well, hope, hopefully the podcast will um, get your name out there a bit more. Tom, we'll, we'll share. <laughs> We'll share the social media links that you do have so you can see yeah, if we can get you a few new followers. And uh, yes, I'm, sh- I'm sure that Ryan will sort of um, push the podcast as well. So re- really appreciate you being on today, Tom. Thank you. Uh, I-, I know that, that actually it can be quite draining doing the heat chamber stuff and you want to make the most of the, the sort of um, early early spring sunshine that we've got to get out for a run. So thank you for joining yeah. us. No worries. Um, best, best wishes in Miami uh, in the thank heat. You. Yeah, and then the next race is a Chile actually the week after in Puerto Veras, so that's challenge Puerto Veras. So yeah, looking yeah. forward to that. Never been yeah. to Chile. Racking it's... up a few air miles then. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you get your uh, flights paid for? Or is that coming out of your own pocket? Um, I've got a little bit of funding from Clash to kind of get out to the race. That that will be a little bit towards flights and accommodation, and then challenge Puerto Veras of like kind of covered expenses, which is awesome. I'm really grateful for them to do that. So yeah. Yeah, there's there's nothing worse than going to a race and not finishing and coming home sort of actually worse off than when you went really because oh, you're not you're not in it for the holiday, are you? Exactly. Yeah, there will be some races that I have to pay to get there. Like that's fair enough. Like you've you've always got to kind of back yourself and invest in yourself a bit. But um, yeah, at these early season races, I'm grateful that I've got a bit of support to get out there. Well, once again, Tom, th- thanks for being here. Um, all the best with your seasons racing. Um, maybe we can catch up again in uh, October, November, and you can tell us all how it went. Yeah, sure. I might be doing my first Ironman around then, so maybe we can chat how see how that training's going. So, yeah, which, which one are you thinking of? There's a couple in kind of October time. I think there was uh, there was Israel, Arizona, and Cosmel all around a similar time. So I might look at one of those. Though there is there's one in September, Almir, which isn't an Ironman. It's like the challenge mm-hmm. uh, full distance. So I might look at doing that as well. That's in September, but I've not quite figured out the whole season yet. So it just depends on, like I said, the ranking, the points, and if I can get into these PTO Open races or not. Yeah, cherry picking's uh, always a good a good little game to play, isn't it? When you're deciding which race to go to, but yeah. but everybody else is playing that same game, so it's uh, it's a bit of a bit of a lottery. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, best wishes, Tom. Thanks for joining us and uh, see you out there somewhere. You're welcome. Thanks very much. Cheers, Simon. Bye. Thanks again to Tom for joining me as a guest on this week's episode. You'll find lots of the links to things we chatted about in the show notes below. To make sure you don't miss any future episode, please go to iTunes, search for 
High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click the subscribe button. If you can remember back about an hour ago in the introduction to this episode, I mentioned the benefits of our membership program, which include access to a growing library of training plans for endurance events covering triathlon, duathlon, aquabike, swim run, Xterra, Grand Fondo cycle races, ultra trail runs, marathons, as well as more focused plans to help you build mobility, strength, as well as boosting specific aspects of your fitness like bike FTP or CSS pace in the pool. We also have monthly exclusive workshops for our SWAT members and you also get free access to educational workshops on nutrition, sleep, strength and many more. We also have a growing number of discounted partner products which I believe in and I use myself and for which I do not get paid to promote. So if you'd like to learn more and find out about how to access these member-only benefits, please visit my website, simonward.co.uk. Click on the Work With Me button and then on the Swap button. And you can also find a link in the show notes below. If you'd like to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube where I'm the Triathlon Coach or Triathlon Coach. And if you are going to Apple to look at some of the other podcasts or subscribe please feel free to leave us a review on the apple podcasts you can find a link for that in the show notes below as well all right that's all for this week so i will see you as always on the next episode